Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Untold Stories from Below the Line. My name is Maggie. My name is Nathan. And today, we're talking to the fabulous cinematographer, Olivia Aguilina. So, Olivia has received her BA in cinematography in 2017 at Columbia College, Chicago. Since then, she's been freelancing for commercials, music videos, and narratives. We're super excited to chat with somebody to hear about the camera and lighting department. So, everybody, please welcome Olivia. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm hot as hell. How are you guys? It's pretty hot here. It is very hot. We're doing good. We're doing good. So we're just going to go right into it. So Olivia, tell us who you are. We want to start with you growing up in Cali. Is that right? You were, were you born in um, San Diego? Yeah, I was born in San Diego. Yeah. Awesome. But you were also living in London at one point, right? Yeah. So my dad is military. So he Mm. was uh, deployed to London for four years. And that's like you know, a good amount of time that the family is allowed to go with. So I was there from like age seven to 12. I got an accent and everything, lost it when I came back to America, unfortunately. And yeah, and then I went to San Diego again, and then Chicago, where I met you, Nathan, at uh, Columbia College. Yeah, Yeah, we we worked together on my uh, independent project. And you were honestly, probably one of the best like cinematographers I've worked with. I mean, I only worked with like a handful, but like I really appreciate you as a cinematographer, but we'll get into the why later. But I kind of want you to explain, you know, how you got into film school and, you know, how did you find your passion? Totally, yeah. Yeah, how it led to where you are now. Well, I feel like every time I hear like a DP specifically talk about how they got into this career choice, everyone starts with, oh, when I was a kid, I always played with the camera and all that stuff. And I did do that, but I never did it in a way of being like, I'm obsessed with this. I love it. It's a passion. Uh, it wasn't until high school that um, my sister actually got scouted to join uh, our like cinematography program at, or it was just a basic film program at the high school. Um, and it, you know, she's my twin. So when yes. she did it, Olivia I was like, has a I'll twin. too. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's a good and thing. she does the exact same thing I do, ironically enough. But um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so high school is when I really realized that film could be a career choice, and it was a really good um, class for me to take, but I didn't know every role on set. I knew there was, you know, a director, an actor, and an editor, really, so I honestly went to college thinking I was going to do editing as my Mm. main career, Uh, and I did take the first year of college to do no film courses at all, because Mm. I feel like a lot of people go to college with, like, maybe a general idea of what they want to do, but you still have so many interests as mm-hmm. a kid, right? So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, and then I did editing classes and I realized I was way more interested at, you know, the frame of what I was editing and the colors and how people were moving and the camera angles and all that stuff. So I learned that that was a job, which was the job of the cinematographer. And that is how I got into doing that uh, mm-hmm. as work. That's amazing. I guess our next question was actually going to be about how when you were a freshman versus senior year, how your goals changed and like how that went about. Like what was your first set like at school? Like what was your first like experience of choosing camera uh, as a like kind of a way of uh, school, I guess? Uh, Well, I think uh, so my first set, my freshman year, like I said, I didn't do any uh, film classes, but then sophomore year, I was on my first set that my sister invited me to because she jumped straight into film Mm. and I fell in love with it. I love being on set because you're like physically present. There's so many, uh, it's all like problem solving. You have to be on your toes really quick. We all know that's how production works. It's like one problem and then you solve it and move on to the next, but it's really fun. 
Um, so yeah, honestly, uh, on that set, I wasn't doing camera, but I was so inspired by the person who was building camera, which was actually Hex Yang, someone that- Oh. Yes. So yeah. I was obsessed. I like admired her so much. And after that, I took uh, a class that was specifically to learn how to build cameras and operate and everything. And after that, it just kind of snowballed into wanting to do strictly camera and cinematography work. So freshman year, my goal was to like learn how to build any camera. <laughs> and mm -hmm. then senior year, uh, my goal was just to get as many jobs as possible and as many names as I could, um, mm -hmm. which was really fun because I feel like Chicago is such a close, close knit network of people that once yeah. you, you know, get your name, it, it gets passed on fairly quickly. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I want to get into how your style changed throughout it. Are you able to explain that process, like when you look at your earlier work compared to the, to the latest work, like totally. what is the difference? I love this question because it's so true that like you will see yourself, you will see yourself grow as an artist so quickly mm -hmm. in school. Mm -hmm. um, at least for me, I really went in. Uh, I said I did that program in high school, but I was constantly frustrated with why doesn't my stuff look quote unquote cinematic and mm -hmm. why is this not cutting? And, mm -hmm. you know, you go to film school and you learn all the technical stuff. So the first things I was really producing was very, I was really following the rules and I was really looking at the frames and trying to, you know, compose everything perfectly. And mm -hmm. I was, you know, really in my head about all that stuff. And now it's really fun because I, I really try to break the rules now. I don't try to follow the rules. I try to make things weird and interesting and more emotional. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that's been really fun because uh, even with narrative, uh, it's cool to break that mold and try something new and and then uh, make something unique. It's really fun. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good answer. I think it's cool because, like, yeah, you get that technical, especially at Columbia, I appreciated that uh, compared to other schools was, like, that technical aspect of, like, learning just, like, straight up what to do. I felt like the camera department, especially at Columbia, seemed very helpful in that way. Um, and so... Uh, is school like necessary? Like, do you think that to be in camera and all of that, like, do you need to go through school or was it helpful to you? Do you think you could have made it in the same way if you didn't go to school? That is such a good question. I feel like people <laughs> ask me that a lot and I feel like it depends. If you're gonna go to school uh, and you wanna do a job like cinematography, I think it really does help being able to be in a place where you're surrounded by creatives. If anything, school, it did teach me a lot, but the biggest benefit I had was meeting people, which mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, if they're gonna go you know, for a business degree or something, you go more so to meet people than you know, to gain the knowledge. Uh, and I do think it was really helpful because I was able then to go on my first paid set, really feeling confident that I knew mm -hmm. the tools and knew what I was doing. And even just learning like how people talk on set and the terminology and the vernacular mm -hmm. people use, uh, it, it helped me with confidence in that. Um, but if anything, I think, yeah, the best thing I gained was just connections. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I can attest to that. I didn't have anybody in my family that knew of anybody in the industry. And I knew that going into Columbia, you know, I was going to um, 
evolved sort of with these students of mine who are later going to become my industry partners, you know? So, yeah. yeah so I love that too. I was always, every time I would work with my friends, I'd be like, guys, guess what? We're going to get paid for this one day. And then <laughs> I remember we were all on set one day and I was looking at them. I was like, guys, we're here now. Like, it was so fun. It's, it's such so a good cool. feeling. It's such a good it feeling. Is. Yeah, yeah, especially when you're the one that's able to bring them on set. You're like, oh, let's yeah. go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the next question is a two-part question. Coffee. So can you tell us what, is a DP, um, you know, what does your job entail? And then, you know, what other jobs do you take when freelancing? How are they different? Like what other positions do you take besides being, besides being a DP? Like, you know, I'm sure you make your money doing more than just DPing. I'm sure you take like, do you take like first AC gigs, things like that? Like For what sure, is that yeah. like? Um, so I guess starting off with like the definition of what a cinematographer does. Cinematography is basically bringing the director's vision to life. So I always see it as, you know, you have a blank canvas and the script is your guidelines. And you can use that to, you know, connect all the lines and pick the colors until you make like a piece of art. So it really depends on the director you're working with. I've worked with some directors where uh, they really know exactly what they want. They know exactly the framing, the colors on screen, the blocking, they have like a clear vision. And I've worked with some directors where they, are like, I, don't, I just want you to create whatever you want. This, these are what they're, you know, the, the lines the actors are going to say, but I have no direction when it comes to the type of lens we're using, the type of angle we yeah. want to shoot it at, things like that. Um, so it's really fun because it's a very creative and technical job. It's a good mix mm -hmm. of using like both the right and left brain. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's really fun too, because I love collaboration, and especially being a DP, you collaborate with not just the director, but you know, with your lighting team, the gaffer and the key grip, and you collaborate with your camera team, the op and the ACs, and, you know, even art department, you know, oh, I like that yeah. red lamp versus, you know, the green lamp or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's very collaborative and really fun. Uh, and your job is just to make things pretty at the end of the day, which is awesome. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it honestly brings me back memories when we were both working on my independent project. And that's like one yes. thing I really appreciated was like, yeah, you know, the film, came out amazing and it looked great but you also were also trying to tell a story at the end of the day and that's like one thing I really appreciated um, working with the cinematographers that they also want to help you tell the story not only make it look great yeah I mean at the end of the day a uh, story is emotion and mm -hmm. I feel like uh, if you focus on that more than anything else it's kind of ironic saying that because a cinematographer's job is visuals but mm. I think the most important thing is the emotion you're bringing on screen. And if we push that into the visuals, that's what's going to give you the best, uh, the best final form of the film. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But it's why it's such a great, you, if both of the, the people are on board and have the right idea, you can like literally combine words into visuals, which is like a very beautiful medium, I thought. Completely. But. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. <laughs> and so the other part of the question was, what other jobs do you take? besides being a DP? Yeah, um, so when I first got out of school, I really advertised myself as a first AC and a cam op, mm -hmm. um, which was a great footing in because you're working side by side with cinematographers. So mm -hmm. it was a really great way for me to uh, study on how people uh, work in production, um, seeing how quickly they make lighting choices, how they interact with the director, 
uh, learning, you know, what scenes are most important to cut. And I think this is really great, but I was always told that if you're, uh, you know, aspiring to be a DP and you're working as a first or second or even a camera PA, that you shouldn't tell the DP that you are, you know, looking to be a DP if you're not in that position. Mm-hmm. And I totally disagree with that because there's mm-hmm. been many times where, you know, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself in first AC work. I wanted to do DP work. Mm-hmm. And the one time I find the first time I finally told this DP I really respected after working with him on a few projects of his that uh, I wanted to do DP work. Immediately he was like, Oh, great. Okay. Well, what do you think of this frame then? Should I move this light? And do you think that temperature wow. of that lamp is, and he immediately started immersing me in his thinking process. And it was so awesome and so beneficial because I really got to see how he works as a cinematographer and, wow. you know, take those elements and put them into my own work. And it was great because, I mean, I definitely think it depends on the DP you're talking to because some, mm-hmm. some egos can be inflated and it's almost an insult saying that you're looking to be a DP, but <laughs> At the end of the day, I think it's, uh, everyone should be, you know, honest and open. It's a creative field. We're the ones yeah. that choose the atmosphere we're in. And it was really fun. So um, I kind of trailed off on that answer. But. No, no, no. It's <laughs> No, great. but that's, that's a like, really good thing to hear. Yeah. yeah that's one of the biggest things that I've learned, like, in being LA. Like, I, the first year, I, like, busted my ass off working in these, like, production gigs. And, like, I never mm-hmm. really told anybody that I was a director. And so that was like the biggest mistake I've learned because had I told them, who knew what could have come off of that? Totally. And I think also this industry, everyone understands the beginning hustle. (laughs) If you see someone working, uh, you know, as a grip and they say, well, you know, I'm actually really a gaffer. You know, we believe it. It's not like you have to prove to anyone. Like, it's it's understandable. If you see someone as a PA and they're like, oh, I'm actually a director. It doesn't matter how far apart those roles are. If you're a director, you're a director. Like, you know who you are. So I think it's really important that people should tell tell their their friends and their departments and everyone they know that because it's the only way you're ever going to get recognized is that role. Right. There's a certain amount of um, uh, just that, what's it called again? Totally. Um, imposter syndrome, I think, is what I was thinking of. Like, you yes, have that, yes. like, imposter syndrome of, like, oh, I'm not good enough. It's like, yes, you are. You're great. Like, everyone yeah. in this industry is faking it, too. <laughs> There's this one phrase I love that I constantly was telling myself when I was in college, and that is, fake it till you become it, uh, which I think is beautiful because fake it till you make it kind of insinuates that, you know, at the top, you're still, like, figuring everything out Mm -hmm. Uh, but fake it till you become it insinuates that you already are that thing it's till people you know acknowledge that you are Mm -hmm. and it sucks the validity comes from you know it's a crew-based career so people need to give your validity but at the same time you know you're a dp you know you're a director you just have to i love that yeah yeah that's a really good one yeah it was from a ted talk let's go (laughs) (laughs) heck yes okay yeah no so let's move on to uh industry stuff um what was your first freelance experience in the industry your first cinematography uh work um that you were paid for i guess i have to think about that i know my first (laughs) job ever that was like a really big deal to me was the first time i was working on a feature um, I was the first AC and when I got the, what they did like a phone call interview and I remember I was writing down every single piece of equipment he was telling me and I was lying. I was like, oh, I know exactly what that is. Yep. I know how to use that. And I was just writing it down because I was going to look up YouTube videos after to, to learn all the gear. 
which was, I, I, at the time, I was like, is this a bad idea? But now I'm like, <laughs> that was a great idea because I got the job. I quickly learned how to use all of the gear. Wow. Um, and that job was one of the most stressful jobs I've ever had. Wow. Uh, we were so understaffed. It was, I was the first AC and there was supposed to be two second ACs. And the day of the prep, so the day before we really started shooting the feature, they mm -hmm. bumped one of the second ACs to first. Um, and he uh, wasn't as experienced in first AC positions. And we had five cameras. So it was just wow. two of us firsting, one second, five cameras. So we were constantly Ooh. running all over the place. Uh, oh you know, it, it, was, it was a madhouse. And it was a very quick, uh, it was like a, you know, what, maybe a 13-day feature, like a 10-day feature. So, oh, my God. Yeah, uh, we were just over overbooked, uh, trying to shoot way too much in one day. But at the end wow. of the day, I really, it gave me so much confidence because I knew uh, I was doing a good job. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is kind of a funny thing to say, but I really learned that uh, you feel confident in your job when you're able to like get mad about it. <laughs> yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, no, no, that makes first, complete sense. <laughs> when I was first starting off, I always used to, you know, if I couldn't... Uh, Pull, get the focus right properly as a first AC position, I'd get really mad at myself. I'm like, oh, you're just not good enough yet. Like you're good. But then on the feature, if I didn't get it focused right away, I used to have been like, yeah, well, I definitely need a rehearsal or yeah, well, she was way too close to the camera. There was no way for me to get that. Like you have so much confidence in yourself. You're not mad at yourself. You're mad at the situation. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah. No, That's when you great. have like almost like ignorant people around you who are newer at what's going on, usually like if you're on like that short of a shoot with that many cameras and that kind of shooting schedule, you have people who are maybe a little less experienced or are scrambling and suddenly you're like, oh wait, I'm the calm one in this situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm not the problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. not the problem. That, yeah. My stage managing job taught me. <laughs> I feel like Nathan, uh, both of us learned a lot in that because it was like all these like kind of no offense, but like idiots are running around. Idiot, How yeah. am I supposed to do my job? Well, I know I can because I'm in this yeah. situation where, yeah. And it's not you. Yeah, true. it's not you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now that's a really, that's a good story. <laughs> um, I think that anyone in production can kind of eventually relate to. And it's like, if you just start taking yourself seriously in the beginning and like every set that way, it's yeah. a lot easier. It's a good feeling. <laughs> yes. It is. Yes. So with these jobs that you were getting, how did you start finding them? Were you networking or what, it, what was your routine or how did you come about those jobs? Honestly, the way I've been getting most of my jobs since I started working in the industry is really just word of mouth. Mm. Um, every time you go on set to work a job, no matter if it's a really high end job or a really simple job, uh, just give it, you know, 110%, have a good attitude. And people will remember that more than anything else. Um, I, I've told my friends this before who are starting off in the industry that, you know, at the end of the day, people are going to want to work with someone that they get along with and someone who's easy to work with. So, even if you are starting off and you don't see yourself as someone that has as much experience or as much confidence in the job you're trying to do, as long as you're really easy to work with, you're professional, um, people are going to remember that more than anything else and you'll get hired because you're a good person, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that advice because it kind of works for all departments, honestly. It works for any job. It like, works for yeah. any job in the industry. Yeah. 
So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then if you don't have as many connections, like let's say you get on set and you're in the camera lighting departments and like you just want to like kind of talk to somebody hoping for a new job, like who would you go to to like maybe spark the conversation on getting more work or like who would you become friends with on set to like get more jobs, I guess. Well, I think it depends on the department. So uh, the first time I ever worked on set and I realized like on bigger sets as a line producer, they're the ones that are hiring everyone. I really thought the answer was to always talk to the producer, but mm -hmm. I've realized at the end of the day, depending on the job you want, you should talk to the person that's right above that job because usually they're the ones that are going to recommend who they want to work with and the producer will just reach out. So as a DP, I'm going to try to talk to the director to make sure I get hired again. Or yeah. when I was an AC, I would really, you know, talk to the directors being like, I had such a great time on set. Thank you for having me. Let me know if you need anything else. I'm happy to help because they're the ones that are going to recommend, oh, I really know this good AC or right. the director is going to say, oh, there's this DP I really like working with. And that's how you're going to uh, get the next job. And also word of mouth, that director will talk to another director and they'll say, oh, I know this really good DP that should work on the project you're starting up. So. Yeah. yeah, I think that's like good to know because when if you're in production, I think like, yeah, line producers are the way to go or oh, yeah. like, you know, at least like uh, production coordinators or, you know, things like that. But I think if you're in a different department, like I wouldn't know where to go for camera <laughs> or like even lighting or any yeah. of that. Um, yeah. So going to your boss, it sounds like is the way to go. <laughs> yeah, the like head of your own single department. Yeah. And then like after you get all your jobs and you're making it, we kind of talked about dropping the aspiring off of your you know title like when do you do that like i know you were we were talking about how we always just claim who we are but like when do we feel like we can say maybe like no to jobs and say like no i can't do this and i'm i'm more professional now like when's a good point when you can just start saying no to things maybe um i think you know for every person it depends uh i think i mean even now especially considering COVID, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, you allow yourself to do uh, other jobs, uh, like AC, like I still AC or sometimes I edit for things. Um, but definitely most of my income comes from cinematography work. But in reference to saying, you know, the word aspiring, I really think that, you know, it's, it's going to sound like you're saying you're going to drop that off too early. Like when I started saying, oh, well, I'm a DP. Even if I was in a first AC position and I was on set as a first AC, I would still say I'm a DP. And, yeah. it, you know, at the time it felt goofy and it definitely felt too early to be saying that. But I look back on it and no, say it right away. Like people are only going to see you as the thing you say you are. If you say you're an aspiring DP and someone who has the exact same experience, exact same talent as you, and they say, I'm a DP, they're going to be remembered before you. Mm -hmm. So I think really, I mean, say it as soon as, as soon as possible. It'll feel goofy at first and it'll feel like, you know, heavy imposter syndrome, almost like a lie, but it's yeah. not a lie because the only way you're going to get DP work is by being a DP. So. Yeah. What other resources besides school could other DPs use to advance their careers? So say that they didn't go to film school, like, are there any like programs that are like helpful or is there anything like you go to, to where yeah, like equipment? Like, would you ever be able to, like, find someone to, like, guide you through the industry at all? Because, like, I went off of, like, kind of mentor people. Like, I found people who were helpful. Um, okay. How do you, like, make it? I think we kind of asked this question earlier, but, like, how do you make it 
without school? What are, if there's any programs like, or any kind of thing you can get into? So I personally don't know of any programs, but I think a lot of like independent ways I've learned to, you know, advance yourself just to getting on set. Mm -hmm. uh, ironically, I really think Instagram is an amazing resource. Uh, just writing the people that you aspire to be and the people that admire you. Yeah. Uh, it shocks me how, how little people actually write them. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of big DPs, especially female DPs or mm -hmm. queer DPs that I really look up to. Um, just writing them on Instagram and saying, hey, I really admire you. I'd love if I could, you know, have a phone call with you or grab a cup of coffee together if they're in your area. A lot of them will say, yes, of course. Or if you say, hey, I'm an aspiring DP. This is you know, <laughs> when you're starting off. I would love to see you work on set. Is there any way that I can be a part of your camera team? Um, a lot of the times they'll be you know, very forward and very nice and they'll get offered to be on set or you'll at least have a connection that knows your name. Or if anything, you'll get you know, a piece of advice from them. Mm. Um, it's scary to think that someone that you see as top of the line to just reach out as a quote unquote nobody. Um, mm. But in reality, I mean, everyone starts in the exact same position. Everyone starts from ground zero. So I think uh, people are very willing to help, even if it's just a, a bit of advice that you know, will make anyone feel comfortable. And then it also, it normalizes uh, everyone. And no right. one is, you know, no one is a God in this industry. I think a lot of people love to push people and make them sound mm -hmm. like they're so much and they are amazing, but at the end of the day, they're human just like you. So yeah, they'll be open to having a conversation. No, that's really awesome. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that we all wait for the moment when we can help someone else because we had yes. that experience right. of trying to hustle. So then like they get very, I've experienced that where you like, they get very excited to help you because they're like, yeah, I can help somebody else. Now. I don't need help. That's great. <laughs> and then, you know, it's like they, you boost their ego too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think the part two answer to that question is once you do get on set, any set, just share your information, get everyone's information, write mm. them the next day saying it was so nice working with you, mm -hmm. to work with you again, uh, do a lot of favors for people. In mm. turn, you can ask for favors from them. It's a big favor based it business. Is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> everyone understands that at the same time, you know? Yeah. So, right. Yeah. And they're helpful. Doing favors is helpful. Totally. Yes. I'm really excited to talk about clientele work. And I want to kind of know from um, a cinematographer's perspective, who are you talking to when you're working on client-based work? Because there's so many, uh, from what I've seen, there's so many people on set. You have like the brand, you have yeah. the director, you have the production company the production who's working company. with the brand, like, separately. There's a lot of, like, heads of the mm -hmm. creative departments when you're on those kind of work. So who are you talking to? The person I'm talking to the most is definitely the production company. Mm -hmm. uh, I work solely as a freelancer DP. So uh, if I get hired from a client, it's through a production company that has reached out to me. Mm-hmm. So uh, depending on the set, there's been quite a few sets where it's client-based and there is no director. It's kind of open-ended. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll be talking definitely a lot to whoever's head of the production company that's on set and to clients sometimes, depending. Um, client can sometimes, they just stay in a separate room <laughs> staring at monitor and relay with a walkie to you know, the AD or to the producer what they're mm -hmm. looking for. But then sometimes client is really active on set and they're you know, stepping in front of the camera and rearranging clothing or they're asking you 
oh, can we make this brighter? So it really depends on uh, how much the client wants to interact with you. Yeah. Um, but if anything, yeah, the director, if there is one, and if not, I will always be talking to the production company that hired me because at the end of the day, they're really the ones that are my quote unquote boss, you know? Right. right. And they get to deal with all of the craziness from the client. <laughs> yeah, I'm Nathan directly to you. Sometimes I'm so happy. I'm not a director. <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a really interesting, um, dynamic concept. or yeah, you, dynamic. <laughs> you, you know, client is on set. If you are going again for a take, going again for a take, yeah. going again, like, <laughs> and changing like one little thing every time. It's like, yeah. And then like in creative, like in creative questions, um, we like, we're very production, like oriented. we're very production oriented people. So like, what is your favorite camera to use? Okay. Well, I'm an Alexa girl. I love yeah. every Alexa camera. I think, I mean, the Alexa mini um, is really great because I do a lot of run and gun shooting and mm. that camera is so easy to work with. It's very intuitive. Uh, the Alexa sensor, if I'm going to get nerdy here, um, okay. <laughs> it has the best highlight roll off, meaning if, uh, if there's a bright light that's very mm -hmm. overexposed, uh, the Alexa sensor really allows the, the highlight off of that exposure to gracefully go into something mm. that is exposed. Oh, nice. It looks stunning. So I definitely have <laughs> a bias when it comes to cameras. I really like uh, the Alexa brand. Uh, even the first, I have the first one. I have a classic just because mm -hmm. I was like, I need to get it because if I'm working on a shoot, it's a narrative and I really want to get an Alexa you know, now we have the option. We have one. Yeah. No matter, no matter what, we'll use it. <laughs> kind of going off of like, again, like my independent project, but you were big on like lenses. And even though we were shooting with the C300, I think, the Canon mm -hmm. 300, you were very big, like on selling me like, no, we have like all these crazy lenses, like, let's go. And so that's pretty yeah. nice too. Yeah, lenses really do affect uh, what you're shooting. Um, yeah. They're so important. I mean, the camera's great, but the lenses are really also going to determine how it looks when you're shooting. Right. Um, so good lenses, I always, yeah, I'm big on lenses. <laughs> That's awesome. Talking about styles, what, what is your style, Liv? And how do you cultivate one without like looking too stylized? Like how is your work defining you? Um, that question is always so hard for me. Because I really <laughs> feel like I morph my style into every project differently. Um, mm -hmm. But I guess like from a, from a basic perspective, I think my style is very polished. It's very clean. Um, I think that's why I get a lot of commercial work because they generally want very like clean, stylized, uh, you know, polished cinematography work. Like yeah. minimalistic um, and like nice, right? Yeah, just, you know, everything is very smooth and organized. Mm -hmm. And But I definitely think at the same time, uh, if I'm shooting a narrative uh, and it's supposed to be really dirty and grungy, it's really fun to adapt to that too. So um, yeah. Yeah. a lot of people tell me I work with color quite a bit it's funny because I, I i don't see it personally but for some reason this month i've heard it so many times of, oh the use of color so i guess that's you know part of my style too yeah, <laughs> yeah um going into uh what mistakes uh you've made and what you've learned from what would you tell a rookie so my example all the time is that like for i always forget to switch back to one when i'm on my walkie and things like that That's um, awesome. so like what is <laughs> what is something that you would tell a rookie when they're going on set that like you'd be like don't make this mistake like that i made <laughs> definitely don't make the mistake of 
if you're going to go on set, make sure you're organized. Whether any department, any department you're working in, it's going to help you um, as an AC or as a camera operator or DP. Uh, if you are unorganized on set, you're just making your own job harder. Mm -hmm. um, people will not know that you did. It's funny because people won't fully recognize if you did a good job, but people will fully recognize if you did a bad job. And that's how people are going to remember you. So mm. the easiest way to eliminate having a stressful set is just first off getting organized the mm. night before pack your JD. Don't wake up in the morning when you have 20 minutes to leave. And now you're trying to get all your gear together. Yeah. Um, and I also think uh, one thing I really learned in the beginning was ask questions. It's very okay to ask questions. If uh, an AC is telling you to get a certain cable and you don't know what that cable is, I would just be like, copy that. And I would run to the truck to try to get the cable but I didn't know what I was looking for. So there was no way I was going to be able to grab, I'd come back with like six cables. And I was like, is this any of the cables? Like, <laughs> that's so chaotic. Just ask what it looks like beforehand or, yeah. you know, ask, uh, asking questions is so key. It's not, um, it's not embarrassing and it's not going to look like you're new because at the end of the day, uh, you're not going to come back bringing the wrong thing. And it's like, yeah. like I said before, people are going to remember what you did wrong more than what you did right. So, mm. Yeah, that's great. That's advice. really good. Yeah, that's good advice. I noticed that the camera department is always very organized. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And oh, if they yeah. aren't, you can notice uh, usually everyone's a little mad about not being organized. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're um, always so looking at other, the other departments like these people are so unorganized. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like everybody's yeah. got like they got their shit together except everybody else. I yes. feel like the camera department has their shit together all the exactly. time. Exactly. Mean, waiting on camera is like any camera person's biggest fear. So yeah, I thinking about it, like I haven't heard that. <laughs> I haven't heard waiting on unless camera. it's necessary. Like unless you're yeah. like, oh well, we're waiting because there's a necessary issue with camera. Totally. But like for the most part, like you're always just sitting there waiting for everyone else to get their shit together. No, we avoid well, it at all costs. Point. So <laughs> <laughs> um okay, so let's switch over to current events. We usually have a conversation at the end of our every podcast on uh, the world today and current events uh, and continu continuing the conversation on COVID-19 and anti-racism um, and then, you know, how the Black Lives Matter movement and COVID are going to affect our industry. Um, a lot's been happening. Uh, we'll, we'll start with just our conversation. We can go into how we can help in a minute, but um, we've yeah. experienced a lot in 2020. And so how has COVID-19 and the movement affected our uh, careers and just the industry itself. Um, how do we have a different thought process going on to set? So basically, like, what is our thought processes? I mean, I think camera and uh, cinematography, especially, there's definitely, you know, a specific person that usually is in that position. Um, and I think diversifying that has been a big push for a while. But definitely since the BLM movement, there's been a huge push just diversifying sets in general. Um, but I think a really important thing that a lot of people forget is if you're going to try to be an ally and diversify a set and hire people um, that aren't just the classic, you know, straight white male, um, it doesn't stop at the hiring process. If you're going to hire someone, once they're on set, you still need to do your job and make sure they're included, making sure they have the resources, mm -hmm. making sure they're comfortable on set. Um, because what's the point of hiring someone if you want to give them an opportunity, but then you do nothing in your power to make sure that they're getting that opportunity. If anything, um, 
if you are hiring them on set and then not giving them the tools they need, you're making it worse. They're not going to enjoy themselves. They're going to, you know, look down on themselves. People are not going to hire them again. I mean, right. I think that's, that's a, a big push. Hiring is not where it ends. If you want to diversify set, it continues. Even just saying hi or including them to sit with you at lunch. Those are such important mm -hmm. things. So that's yeah. really, that's a really good point because I think sometimes um, it is like they're left out after the conversation of like the hiring process or you just like, you know, make sure that they're hired again and not just for that one specific project. Right. Cause exactly. it's not like it, it, there's a lot of tokenism when it comes to like hiring, you know, uh, BIPOC people and, or just BIPOC and all of that. It's just, it's hard to, I think people, yeah, just hire just because you know they're BIPOC and like that's and then there's yeah there's just the end and then that's it and it's yeah, like if I think the the mention of equipment is really important because I feel like yeah if you hire someone and then you give them nothing to work with they won't get those opportunities again um exactly you know, yeah that's yeah. that's really um, the knowledge you share you know yeah completely yeah and also I think making someone feel comfortable on set saying mm -hmm you know, oh, hey, welcome to set. This, these are the people you need to know. Introduce them. I mean, mm -hmm. it's already so scary going into a set as someone who may not have as much experience, but now as someone where you feel like you might have only gotten hired because you're BIPOC, I mean, it's not about that. At the end of the day, you're hiring someone because they are good at their job and you need to give yourself, um, make sure, check yourself that you're giving them the tools to do a good job because they can. So Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then have we, our next question is just, have we worked on any sets during COVID or after the movement? What have we heard? What have we worked on? Yeah. Um, we were Nathan sort of talking. Have, yeah. been kind of. Uh, so we talked about this, like before the <laughs> podcast, we started recording, but you know, being in COVID and like, you know, being on unemployment and like, I personally haven't been working lately. Yeah. Me neither. We're, we've been, been at home. Maggie. We've been at home chilling, but <laughs> totally. Or protesting, but like yeah. for the most part. Yeah, Liv, are you? <laughs> have you been on any sets? Like, can you tell us like if there was like any like precautions or like guidelines that yeah. these productions were following like for COVID? I mean, every production has definitely had a different level of safety. Um, one of the best sets I've been on was a short we shot in Chicago and. You know, they made, obviously, everyone got COVID tested beforehand. Mm. Um, they made everyone read instructions on, uh, you know, just general safety precautions with COVID. Um, everyone had a checklist before they entered set about symptoms. Mm. Uh, everyone wore face masks, wiped down equipment every time we changed locations. Mm. You know, really tried to stay in our own departments. Uh, I could list how many... <laughs> uh, how many things we did uh, we had a really really good person on set who was just in charge of COVID safety mm -hmm. um, which is really awesome I've been and trying we were... to get those jobs <laughs> so if anyone's <laughs> looking it's great because I think it's really important if, if there's not one person on set making sure that everything is safe um, yeah. everyone is so overwhelmed with their job anyway you need someone dedicated just for that safety yeah absolutely um, yeah and then I mean there's been other sets that you know, uh, everyone's going to wear a mask and you show up and yes, everyone on crew is wearing masks, but no one else is wearing a mask and that's a problem. Or, yeah. you know, crafty is open crafty and that's a problem. If you're what? reaching in for, you know, a carrot <laughs> and someone else, exactly. They had open crafty during COVID? 
Yeah, and it's really disappointing because that's crazy. That's like <laughs> that's like, like the one thing you could control. Yeah, that was like the main thing they pointed out though was like crafty. Like was that's the only thing you can. Yeah, really yeah. know for sure you can package that. That's exactly. like oh no, that's lame. So I, I think everyone everyone is learning, you know, as they go on set. But there's definitely been a few sets that have been super awesome. Um, the latest one I was on was uh, with Cliff Bars, and they had like hand. It was outside in the woods, and they had. <laughs> you know, hand sanitizers and hand washing stations uh, mm. just throughout the woods, which was so awesome. It was wow. really great to see that. Outdoors. So, I yeah. know. I was like, you guys okay. are really bringing it. Let's go safety. <laughs> yes. Love that. Well, I feel like that's a good company to work with during a pandemic. Just like Working an out- outdoors. Yeah, outdoors. A ton of sanitary stations. Really great. Yeah. And I am like Cliff Bar's uh, clientele. So I was like, let's go Cliff Bar. Yes. <laughs> Um, So our next question, what will Hollywood look like going forward um, with the movement and COVID? So what are our hopes and dreams for 2021? Uh, That's such a good question. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I definitely think uh, the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement um, has really pushed, again, just diversifying set. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's so important that we stop uh, stereotyping roles, stop Mm -hmm. stereotyping uh, you know, what people are allowed to play, what characters are just based off of race or ethnicity or gender. Um, I think we're also really gonna see uh, directors that should be telling stories in the positions they should be. I think there's a lot of stories that are told where the director um, may not be the best fit person because Mm -hmm. it's not something they can directly relate to or it's not necessarily their story. And that's all about opportunity. I mean, if we're gonna have someone tell a story that's centered around being black and it talks about, you know, how problematic it is specifically in America, the director should be someone who can relate to that and should be black. And along those lines too, I feel like a lot of the other departments should follow that same protocol because- screenwriters. Exactly. At the end of the day, I mean, uh, there's, we need to give people like that opportunity because there's going to be other jobs for someone like me as a white woman. I'll find another job. Uh, there should be people on set right. that deserve to be in those roles and they can be. And the only way they're going to be in those roles if, is if um, we're not hoarding those positions. So, yeah. yeah. And that's like something I wanted to talk about was the, the fact that, um, you know, hiring, I'm sure hiring black DPs is a really great thing because like they might know how to light the scene correctly. Something I've noticed. That's huge. Yes. You have to light darker skin tones differently. Right. So like how, Mm -hmm. how did you guys learn that? Like, is that something you learned in school at all? Was that pushed? Is that pushed on set a lot? So it's very disappointing because I think that in school, we're taught everything very traditionally. So even using a gray card, I mean, we're, we're told that 18% is uh, what you should use to light skin tone, but 18% mm-hmm. works on a light skin tone. It's right. totally yeah. different if you're gonna use that card. It doesn't work. You can't use that card if you're gonna light someone that has a much darker skin tone. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, maybe it was brought up for like five minutes, just the concept that you do have to light differently for someone of a different mm-hmm. skin tone. But um, for me, it was really just educating myself on uh, watching a lot of interviews with DPs that were specifically lighting um, mm-hmm. shows on like Netflix and HBO, mm-hmm. them talking about how they light darker skin tones because there, there is a different way of doing it. And it's crazy that people uh, haven't learned that. I mean, mm-hmm. when we were shooting on film, Kodak, the only reason they started developing film that could take uh, 
literally brown tonalities and darker tones was because of furniture companies. They wanted to advertise their tables and dressers and chairs (laughs) better because they were just coming out like really, really dark and straight black and they needed to show those tones. That is the only reason Kodak started developing film that was able to- Dang! Wow, that's- it's it's interesting that like a gray card can be racist. (laughs) Um, Like it's- It it is, it it. really is. That's such a great great way of saying it, yeah. Yeah, because it's that's interesting that you can find it in just those like technical things. I'm very, yeah, that's annoying that they, that's the only reason they changed it. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just wanted to talk about that because that's like a huge thing I've noticed in a film. And it's probably the only thing like camera wise I would know <laughs> that doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, so we can go into um, how we can help uh, during the BLM movement uh, or Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, yeah. And uh, and then just going on about postal service. Right now we just posted something to our Instagram page about uh, USPS and how uh, it's being basically defunded by the mm-hmm. Trump administration, which is very scary. Um, and we need to help because it helps with small businesses. It delivers medicine to people. Oh, uh, mail-in ballots. Mail-in ballots. Yeah, exactly. That's the big. That's, that's the, the big, big one. one. Um, so we need to make sure we're buying stamps and we're texting. We put uh, the number on uh, where to text so that yes. we can keep supporting our mail system because we need and it's it. Super and it's simple too. Nice. You just text. You just text saying USPS, and then they send you something, and you put, you say yes, and then you sign it. Yeah, and a lot of people are talking about how the uh, I think the the argument was always that you know USPS costs us so much. Um, it is a service. It's going to cost the United States something. Uh, it is not a business. It doesn't make money. Um, so we just need to make sure we're funding our. It's a necessity, and we need to be making sure we, we fund that and defund the police. Yeah. Um, so uh, going off of that, we yeah. always say uh, justice for Breonna Taylor yes. um, still has not, not that she will ever really receive justice because she should mm-hmm. still be with us, um, but we need to be mm-hmm. holding people accountable, uh, her, her killers accountable. Um, and then, you know, we've linked a lot of things in Linktree for uh, Barut and uh, the Black Lives Matter okay. movement. Um, and just helping out the, uh, them in Beirut because right now I, I believe they're still protesting their own government after they being, are. it's horrible. Uh, what's happening. Yeah. It's really shitty. So, um, yeah. if you want to help out in any way, we've linked everything in Linktree for our audiences. Um, and, and donations then, too. Yeah. Donations, petitions to sign. Um, I know that for like Beirut, for example, you just like want to make sure you're signing the right petitions. Uh, their government isn't great. So anything through uh, Lebanon isn't really the way to go. Um, but we've linked some stuff. Um, and then we always ask our guests if you had any advice for like COVID-19 things you wanted to promote for the movement, anything like you wanted to bring up. Um, we, we talk about mental health. Um, yeah. What have you been doing? Like staying, quarantined like yeah you know, me and maggie always like we do meditation and you know just that's make sure beautiful that we're really good yeah yeah, yeah. Um, well i guess on the like the black lives matter movement i mean during this happening during quarantine i feel like has given many of us nothing but time to mm-hmm. push the resurgence of the movement um i think one thing that i've really learned is i really wanted to help like as a dp and figure out like using my own skills how i can help 
Um, my friend Grace works directly with Black Lives Matter Los Angeles, um, and I've been helping her uh, shoot a few uh, interviews and series with uh, families that have had lost to the LAPD. Um, but at the same time, something that I've learned through this um, is that you can help as a person. You don't have to help according to your career or your skills. Mm -hmm. I mean, just going to protests alone, just uh, pushing promotions and pushing, you know, where people can get resources to help is the biggest help I think anyone can do. Um, so outside of your career, I mean, just as a basic human being, educating yeah. yourself helps. Um, pushing the narrative helps. Educating your family and friends helps. I mean, there's so much we can be doing. Um, yeah, I really think that, you know, you can separate yourself as uh, not just your job career, but as a, mm -hmm. as a person, there are so many ways yeah. you can help. Not just BLM, but all these causes you guys brought up. So I think it's really good you're, you're pushing and promoting it and have a link tree and that's amazing. Heck yeah. No, I mean, just like you said, we, we have to push in any way we can. I think like that's something I realized was like, my career was like everything to me. And then suddenly I was like, oh yeah, that's not a thing. I, you know, I, well, I might, you know, not be able to do that career one day, but Black Lives Matter always, I mean, Black Lives always matter. So that yeah. is where it's at. It comes first. Um, but we will link your uh, Instagram and anything you need in um, in the description of this podcast. And yeah, so this is the end of our podcast. Thank you awesome. so much, Liv, for coming to join us <laughs> yes. and talk to us. We yeah, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out and considering sure. me. And yeah, this has been really fun. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, we are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Play um, for as long as Google Play is out there. Please leave reviews. Let us know what you guys think about the episode and hit us up on Instagram and go follow our page. Yeah, thank you so much for listening and we will see you with our next our next episode. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.